Welcome to episode 11, Cycles, Bridges, and ROI. In this episode, we have a very engaging interview with Nancy Griffing from 3545 Consulting. And what are our thoughts about pineapple on pizza? All this and more coming right up. You don't need law school. Law school's for people who are boring and ugly and serious. Welcome to Legally Crowd with Mike and Xavier. Well, welcome, everyone. I think it's uh, episode, I think this is 11. So now we're starting to see a trend. JB, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Mike. Yourself? I'm doing great. You know, it's nice that uh, every once in a while we get to record on a Friday, because that just means we've got a weekend coming up. We're a little bit more cheerful, a little bit more upbeat. I am so ready for the weekend. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I am too, although in a different respect, I should say. Um, so we took a very large firm live last weekend. Uh, it, it went swimmingly, uh, the no no issues. But, uh, you know, so that was that was a lot of work, as you can imagine, with any any go live event. Uh, but we are turning right around and heading into yet another one back to back uh, and, and taking another firm live this weekend as well. I'm extremely excited. Uh, you know, this is uh, another um, a large customer of ours, and and I'm I'm excited to be to be taking them live. To me, there is there's a you know I've been doing this so long. There's there's a sense of excitement uh, that that comes every time you know you head into these weekends because all of you know months, sometimes years of planning of uh, and, and preparation and everything else all sort of comes to fruition. And um, I, I have to say, you know, with the team that we have here and even some of the other people that we've had the pleasure of working with, uh, you know, some of our third party consultancies, anytime that this happens and, and things come together, that first morning of, of you know, it's, it can be crazy, uh, but that first morning that a firm goes live, um, I, I've been a part of these now where they've been uh, relatively, you know, mostly calm events. The questions and everything that come in are more around the lines of, uh, workflow issues and just supplemental training, and it's just such a great experience overall. Once you're able to deliver, it's almost like Christmas morning. Once you can deliver this thing out there and and get um, you know somebody new on onto the platform and and transform the the business, I I, I think it's it, it's just a great event. So so I'm excited for for a different reason, um, you know, there because we're 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 taking yet another firm live and and bringing them into the fold. That's wonderful. Um, I remember back in my days when I did implementations, some of those were I was looking forward to it. Some of them I was wincing come Monday morning as what's going to happen. But it's it's a testament to the quality of the teams, the quality of the people that we have in place, as well as, in all honesty, the improvements that we've made in the platform over the over the years. So it's uh, I'm glad to hear that things go well, that uh, that you get excited for these. Uh, it, it, it really is a testament yeah. to many different things. Yeah. So that's great. Well, you know, I don't think we have uh, really any new net documents news, nothing new recently. I, I do know that we had some, some press releases of law firms that uh, had chosen net documents, those like Wilson Sonsini and others that came out recently. Um, but from, you know, an active ongoing stuff outside of the, the regular go live in production type of, of events. I don't think we have stuff. Although, wait a minute, something is uh, something just reminded me. That's exactly right. Um, we actually had an interesting uh, press release, and we've got a, an upcoming webinar, by the way, um, mm -hmm. of a new feature called Set Builder. And so, yes. so you know, I I know what Set Builder is. I've been involved in some of the things. JB, what's your understanding of Set Builder? My understanding of Set Builder is, um, you know, just the ability to have an entire, uh, for lack of a better term, binder or, or, or set of documents that go with a particular matter, and allow, just sort of expose that as a as a framework to the attorneys in order to build off of that and, and create those documents in order. Uh, whether or not they're there or not. I, I know that I'm not doing it justice. Um, I know, Mike, you're a little bit more eloquent than I am to, to describe some of these things, uh, but why don't, do you want to expound upon that? Yeah, so essentially you get into, the, into these certain situations, whether you're talking about an, uh, an M&A deal or you're talking about essentially a set process 
where in the end, you need a list of documents collated and captured into a single binder, or sometimes people call it a document Bible. And so Set Builder allows you to do that. You can go and grab content that's stored within different areas in Net Documents. You can even go grab content outside of Net Documents and then assemble it together. And it will create a single PDF file with all these different documents. It creates a linked table of contents, and you've got options for numbering, for sorting, for other types of things. And it just significantly simplifies what you're, what you're trying to do. In fact, this was a technology that we had purchased from one of our customers, Chapman & Cutler. They're a law firm that does a lot of M&A work. And the process to create these, what they call deal binders, is after the deal was closed, they then all had all these paper documents. Or they had electronic documents and they had to print them out. And it would take them anywhere from three, from anywhere from a month to four months, depending on the complexity of the deal and different documents. And so they'd gather these paper documents, they'd send them to um, one of their one of their locations where they would then assemble them into three ring binders. Then they'd have to distribute out to the parties that were involved in that particular deal. And it was taking anywhere from one to four months to perform that function. And it would cost them, you know, upwards of a thousand dollars, $1,500 per deal. And they did several hundred of these per year. So, so what they did was they built an electronic workflow an electronic mechanism to simplify, simplify this significantly. So what took them up to four months now takes them a couple hours. And what was $1,500 a deal is now down, you know, even if you look at um, the hourly wage of someone that might be doing this, you know, you're talking a couple hundred dollars tops. And that's very, that's very tops. So it saved them a lot of time, saved them a lot of money, better service for their clients, much more efficient. And so we've grabbed that and we've made some tweaks to it and are releasing it very, very shortly as Set Builder. And by the way, we do have a webinar. Now I know this podcast will be released shortly before the webinar happens, but it's actually May 28th, so it's Tuesday, at 9.30 a.m. Mountain Time. And on our Net Documents blog, there's an article about us announcing Set Builder, and within that article is a link that you can go sign up and participate in that particular webinar. So if you've got a little bit of time, we'd love to have you join. It's going to be very informational and very educational for that set builder. So, and the release date for set builder is going to be, I believe, mid-June of this year. So we're really, really excited. And there's been a lot of buzz from our existing customers that uh, they, they want to see it. They want to be able to get their hands on it and, and ensure that it fits their particular needs. So we're, we're excited about that. Yes, absolutely. I am as well. I, it's it's going to be really, really, really neat. I, I, yeah. Exactly. So um, I guess JB, we we do have some upcoming uh, some upcoming events. Do you we want do. to kind of take us through of of where we're going to be and what we've got planned? I, I would. I, I love it. Um, June thirteenth is a virtual partner summit. I think it's the first time we've we've had a virtual partner summit, which means you could be anywhere. Um, I would love it if, uh, you know, maybe if there was a central location, if they had, you know, what's the what's the robot that with the screen on it uh, for video conferencing? Oh, I don't, I don't remember have, the name, yeah. You know yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, do. I, I don't know if we should put Alvin on one of those and, and have him <laughs> wheel around, but that would be awesome. Uh, but with the, the virtual partner summit, wherever you're at, uh, uh, you can log in and, 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 and go to that. Uh, Mike, do you want to give some details on how they can get to the virtual partner summit? Uh, yeah. So in, in fact, there's registration links inside of our partner portal. And if you don't have an account, uh, get in contact with Steve Moulton and, uh, he can, he can get you set up with that, but it is, it is limited to our, uh, our partner program so it's not for the open general public but if you are a net documents partner we'd highly encourage you to do this and essentially what will happen is there are going to be different sessions on different topics whether it be sales whether it be technical and it, it's going to be really really nice and for the record jb this is actually our second one that we've done we did one a couple of years ago it was it was an eight hour marathon it was long oh, wow and uh, I, I think this one is structured slightly differently with absolute well-defined, here's the topic for this particular time period. So you don't have to stay the whole time. You just come in for what you want and then you can leave. 
So definitely need uh, need to plan appropriately for snacks or some other type of uh, sustenance during said partner summit. Oh, I'm planning to bring popcorn and just sit back and watch. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, hey, uh, so hot on the heels of that, about five days later, June 18th through 19th, we have an in-house division annual conference in 2019, which is in London, one of my favorite cities. So, Mike, do you want to tell them a little bit about that? You know, I don't know anything else beyond that. I just know it's a conference. We'll have representation there. Sorry. Fabulous. No, that's all right. Okay. And then uh, June 19th and 20th through the 21st, there's the Strategic Technology Forum 2019, which is in Marbella, Spain. Uh, that, I would love to attend that. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be at that one. I've always wanted to go to Spain, uh, but uh, yeah, not, not in the cards this year. Um, so for you, you you can say they say they say Spain is pretty, but I've never been. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, and then a little bit later in the year, so October sixth through eighth is our annual Elevate event in Salt Lake City, Utah. This year, um, always love going to that. I can't wait to go this year and see, uh, you know, how much how much larger and how much more evolved it, it, it's been. Every year that I've been going, it has gotten larger and larger and larger every year uh, exponentially. So it's it's going to be really interesting to to see how uh, how this shapes out this year, but but it, so far it's it's looking to dwarf last year. Yeah, we've had to change the venue because last year we maxed out there, and in fact, you know, we've had it the past few years we've had it up in in Park City in in various mm -hmm. locations, and there is not a place in Park City large enough for our expectation of attendance this year. So we've had to move that a little bit to places that can accommodate more people. Yeah. Uh, so always, always fun, always a good time. Um, and uh, do you want to uh, do you want to talk about how they can get information on that? Mike? Absolutely. Once again, there are registration links on our partner uh, on the partner portal as well as on our blog. And in the end, and you know this is this is available for our customers, our existing customers, as well as our existing partners. If uh, if you are not able to find out where to sign up, go ahead and just contact anyone at NetDocuments. In fact, hit us up <laughs> at LegallyCloud on Twitter. We can get you in contact with the appropriate registration people. So at LegallyCloud on Twitter, and we'll be happy to help you out. Perfect. Uh, and finally, just a month after that one in November, so November 6th is our annual Elevate UK event in London. So we do hold a separate Elevate event across the pond. Uh, this year, that will be in the County Hall building, uh, which is a, a fabulous building, but um, that will be on November 6th. And same attendance, you know, you can find all of that in, in the same place. Exactly. Well, at Legally Cloud, don't forget that. And for those that were at the UK Elevate last year, I don't have to say anything. It is <laughs> it is burned into your memory. That one is a, it was an event that you'll, you won't forget for many, many years down the road. This upcoming one is going to be the same quality and caliber with the same different themes this year, but uh, it's going to be one, one to remember, one to be at. Fantastic. Well, that's exciting. I, I, I look forward to those. Um, you know, it's, it's a shame they're so late in the year, but I, I just I, I glanced up the other day and I said, holy cow, it's May already um, in 2020. The year is almost half over, and I have no idea how that happened, Mike. I don't, I don't know. Um, maybe maybe it's all the uh, it drifted away somewhere between all the plane travel uh, or something. I'm not sure, but uh, it, it certainly has been going by very quickly. I'm sure. I, I I think I've heard somewhere the more you fly on a plane, the faster time travels, or something like that. I don't know, but that has yeah. to be it. Yeah, exactly. All right. So excellent. As as we prepare, we're getting ready to go into our second segment. We've got a wonderful interview with Nancy Griffing from 3545 Consulting, and you're going to want to make sure to hang around and listen to that. We'll be right back. So welcome to our second segment of our podcast episode today, Legally Cloud. And with us, we have a very, very special guest. I'd like to introduce Nancy Griffing from 3545 Consulting. And if I remember correctly, I believe you are one of the principals of 3545. Is that right, Nancy? That is correct. Wonderful. So tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, who you are. Tell us about 3545, 
maybe some areas of specialty and years of experience in the industry, etc. Be happy to. I've had the pleasure of working in the industry for 27 years, and in particular, we focus on law firms and legal departments of corporations. We do cover some additional areas, but that's really our focal point. And what we try to do is find the best match for our client that will include not only the software application, but the technical environment that they're working with and all the technology that they use. We really look to try to find solutions for our clients that will give them efficiency in the workplace. Wow, that's pretty great. So it sounds like it's a it's a holistic consulting approach to not just specific legal or technology needs, but more from a bigger picture. Is that right? It is. We actually have three different consulting teams at 3545. We have our consultants that are application specialists that actually work on the deployment and the training and the ongoing services for the applications. We have a system engineering team, and they are the ones who understand the network infrastructure and they understand the technology that we need to use. And then our third team would be our data analytics programming team. And they're the masterminds that help us convert documents, move documents from one area to another, data from one program to another, or to be able to analyze it in more detail. So with all of those three teams, we're able to collaborate internally and fill in the gaps for our clients. So our clients may have a very strong IT company that's supporting them, and then our role is really basically to help mentor that team to understand how the applications work or how our custom programming works in the environment. That's great. But before we focus on on the company, the technology, the industry, let's let's get back to you. I'm interested in you, Nancy. It's all about you for the moment. So tell us something unique, a unique, unique fact about you or a unique interest. Share a little bit. Well, I guess I'd probably have to say that I am very, very proud of my Scottish heritage. My dad was actually born in Scotland and then came to the United States when he was two years old. And I'm very, very proud of that heritage. Very, very nice. So when you go to your favorite hometown restaurant, what's your go-to order? And name, name the restaurant and then what's your go-to? Well, it's Antonio's, and of course, it's Italian specialty, so I do like everything that they have. It's hard for me to pick one meal, but I never go without having one lemoncello martini. Ah, very, very nice. And then (laughs) finally, from a professional development standpoint, which kind of will get us back into businesses, is, you know, you said you've been in the industry for 27 years. What do you wish you had known when you started your career? I really wish I had understood how important it was to marry the technology with the software and how important it was to be able to allow the technology changes for the client parallel what was happening in the software world. So that from an end user's perspective, it really truly is their desire and need to communicate directly with the data that they need to work with on a daily basis and not to have any barrier in between. The other thing I wish I had understood from the beginning was the fact that part of the consulting career is not just being able to show them applications or start them on new technology, but it's also the business advice that we are privileged as consultants to learn by working with our individual clients. And and at the very beginning, I didn't understand how confidential information obviously never travels from one client to another, but the business advice and how to better make the business work can travel. And I wish I'd understood to pay more attention to that from the very beginning, but I've got it now. Very nice. Yeah. Well, being in the industry for 27 years, obviously you've picked up a few things to remain for, for that length of period. So that's great. Well, thanks for sharing some, some personal information with us and letting us get to know you a little bit more. Let's let's transition a little bit. Let's get into the meat of, of why we're here and, and what we're talking about. Yeah, I think there's there's a few questions, Nancy, uh, you know, where to dive in here. I think what probably is best is to start with your customer base. So what type of customer do you typically, you know, service and, and what do you, what would you say is your sweet spot in, in terms of 
you know, taking a look at the, the legal industry as a whole, I think a lot of people think, oh, you know, law firm's a law firm, but that's that's really not true, right? Law firms are, are extremely different and, and very widely. So, um, you know, where what what what's your what's your go to? Well, definitely, we love the law firms and the legal environment, and you're absolutely correct, JB. There are no two law firms that are the same. Even if they are direct competitors in the same area of practice in the same city, they are not the same, and the way that they think and work and function is very, very different. The size of the law firm also makes a huge difference. There is a different culture when we're working with an a smaller law firm that has maybe one or two partners that are actually the ones that are making decisions uh, versus a larger law firm that is committee driven and area of practice specific from a, an organizational unit. They're very, very different and diverse. We really like all the different flavors of the individual law firm and we work with all of them. We have consultants on staff who just really love to work with small law and are very interested and attuned to the needs of an entrepreneur running a small business. And then we also have the situation where we're working with, uh, you know, the 10 to 100 size firm. Data is extremely important. Um, making sure that workflow is consistent and that we're looking for efficiencies but also looking at how that translates into the finances and the bottom line is very important. And then from the 100 and above, our participation there generally is very focused, where we may go in to do a deployment for a particular pro product. So we may work with the entire staff, or we may work with one particular group or one particular department if it's a corporate legal uh, situation but we're very focused and driven on that one application. And the concept there is deploying as efficiently as possible and making sure that the deployment is effective and everyone is on board. So we like all of those different levels. Um, we probably work the most with the mid-sized firms, but we love all of them. We do have a few areas beyond law, but not many. We have some clients in the financial area so we work with some accounting firms or finances or high uh, wealth individuals that manage money. And then we have a few in the medical area. And that gives us just a little diversity in our daily diet so that it helps us see things for our law firms from a slightly different business perspective. And yet uh, those, those entities still use a lot of the very same products that we bring to our law firms on a daily basis. You know that's a great point, and 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 thanks for that. I I certainly uh, share your enthusiasm there. You know, having worked with quite a number of firms over the years, the the one thing, and I'm I'm curious to see here that you sort of hinted on at the end is what sort of general trends are you seeing with technology requ requests across that spectrum, right? So you know, within each client, the the needs are are can change, but there's 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 sometimes a, a balance between what the trends are there, and I'm, I'm curious what your take is on that or what you're seeing in, in your business. There's a revolution occurring. Uh, the legal industry has been flagged for years as being the slowest to embrace technology, and I would say that's absolutely correct, and maybe the financial or accounting area would be second in line. Not anymore. The driving force to be competitive now is pushing them into a whole different technology environment coupled with what's also going on in their individual offices, and that is how to cost-effectively balance the technology that they're using in their office to make it efficient for what they want to do. So the work produced is going to maintain competitive edge by being efficient. The technology underneath is forcing them to change to keep that competitive edge. So our long-term law firms that, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, if we had started mentioning cloud, they would have laughed and, and said, yes, that's really funny. Someday, never. But yeah. now it's just not that way. Um, this is the wave of the future. So we're seeing a huge change. And delightfully, I might say, in the past two years, the law firms are embracing that new concept 
and they're ready to do it and they're ready to make that investment in order to stay competitive in the marketplace. Yeah, no, that's that's excellent. And, and uh, along the lines of, of cloud, what are you seeing, you know, trend-wise, and, and are you seeing a, a significant shift in the percentage of cloud software versus on-premise, and, and what does that look like to you in terms of your what you're seeing? It It is huge. <clears throat> um, I would say that we have <clears throat> 30 to 40 percent of the software um, or of our clients are using cloud in some way or another, and then a growing number are using cloud completely. So within the last year and a half, we've actually started saying with a good combination of a time billing accounting and practice management system, cloud-based, and a marriage with a product such as NetDocuments, it is really possible to free them from the dependency of a server environment. You still may need a small footprint, but basically they're able to take their law firm with them anywhere they go and securely and safely access their data without any concern that they're compromising client uh, confidential information. It is a completely different paradigm. And I, I am amazed to see once it started how quickly the momentum is picking up. You know, we're always in a situation where there's a five-year technology cycle within a firm where we have to look for obsolescence within five years. And as that five years now is, is clocking in, the firms are no longer saying, well, I want to replace my traditional premise-based server and I want to stay on premise-based software. They're truly saying, free me up. And it may be because of competition, but it also can be the convenience factor. You know, we have snowstorms in the north, we have floods in the south, we have hurricanes here in Houston, we have devastating earthquakes in other parts of the country. Knowing that if they can get to the internet through their phone or through uh, Starbucks, that they have their law practice with them no matter what happens is sincerely a great deal of assurance. And they're really embracing it. Yeah, that is that is great, and, and you know the the benefits of the cloud are just so massive. Um, you know, in, in terms of you mentioned quite a few of them, and it it affects that that market segment in in many different ways. One of the things that I've been the most amazed with, uh, especially as you mentioned, things like uh, time and billing moving to the cloud, and, and a few of those others, it, it lowers that. Uh, uh, barrier of entry, if you will, to that that smaller segment. So, you know, some of the smaller firms that that need startup or, or maybe don't have the capital that was once required. You know, the the, the footprint of of the equipment that they needed just to stand up servers and everything else now sort of uh, disappears a little bit, and, and it lowers that uh, that requirement. So, it's it's definitely a I, I think a big boon for uh, for some of those those sized firms as well. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, it is definitely the capability for the startup, but it also is the compromise for the pre-existing firm that is how the new blood comes in. So the attorneys that are right out of school want that. This is the technology that they want. So being able to walk in and share that technology with those who've been practicing for 30 years and not to see a disruption in the business, this is the common element. And that is that portability, flexibility, and yet very advanced technology delivered to them with such a small small um, footprint anywhere, um, and maybe none, uh, if they needed to access their information. Yeah, absolutely. So, Nancy, I want to go back to something that you had said a little bit earlier, um, talking about technology in a law firm and about people wanting to become as efficient as possible using different technologies to achieve those goals. I know that that you've got a division within 3545 Consulting that is a programming team that works on bridges between different applications, and I'm assuming some of that involves data transfers and other types of functions from one system going to the next. What, what types of applications are you seeing that are getting bridged together? And you know, the second part of that is, as you get these requests, are there any of these types of integrations that surprise you or make you question, now, why 
why do you really want to do that? Oh, there are. Um, the first and foremost, our programming data analytics team is daily involved with conversions and migrating data from one program to another, um, taking documents from a folder structure and bringing them in and organizing them and profiling them into net documents or extracting accounting information from one program, time and billing from another, and practice management from another, and bringing them all together. So they definitely, <clears throat> definitely specialize in data movement from data from one program to another. And that's a common element, but amazing that it has dramatically increased on our business model. In other words, we may have had our programming team involved uh, 10 to 15% on conversions or migrations. And we've had to expand the team in order to en uh, enable us to increase our capacity because there are so many people that are in the process of moving, migrating, embracing this technology so they need their data to go with them. The other thing that they do is they bridge different programs together. So, for example, we might have um, a law firm that, that specializes in subrogation, and so they have huge volumes, maybe a million to a million or half a million to a million different data records that they have to analyze in a week. And that data comes in in some crazy format, like a, still a 1970 COBOL format, and our programmers will develop or write a little program or application that can interpret that data, put it into a different format, and then make it appear uh, formatted and structured in another environment. So wait, so it's all about. Hang yes, on, you're sorry. telling me that COBOL is still alive and well today? I am so sorry to tell you that, but yes, in fact, I am. Um, that's that is how. Um, uh, very confidential insurance records may be stored. It's kind of sad, but you know we have the same thing on all sorts of other different programs. So their job is to be able to take that data and move it from one area to another on an ongoing basis or on a one-time basis, or maybe they'll develop a little applet that can be used on top of an existing program to enhance it and then it may bring another element into the process. Uh, for example, we um, may have a very high volume uh, personal injury practice that is trying to deal with um, check writing or being able to process payables and code those back to their individual matters, and the software program doesn't have the capacity to deal with the number of records that they're working with. So maybe we'll write a little applet, browser-based, and give that the end user the access to collect all that data from various different areas through a browser app and then store it back into the database of the other program. Things like that. That's amazing. That's very creative. And it's, it's wonderful to see how technology can be designed to solve not just common everyday problems, but those one-off of, I need to do this in this specific case. So it sounds like it's a great service that 3545 brings to the table, whether it's a standard integration package or standard migration or something unique to that specific instance of, of say, data analysis or data transformation, et cetera. Now, as you, as you work with your clients, and I would suspect at times they'll come to you with a problem and you may introduce a technology that they're not familiar with to solve that particular problem. What are are there any common concerns that you've seen or you've heard or you continue to hear from your clients just about technology in general? The probably the biggest concern is the ongoing cost of maintaining their systems and whether or not they're spending their money the way they should. So the question becomes, you know, how soon is our how soon are, is our technology obsolete? How do we plan for this obsolescence? And do we have the technology that's going to support what we want to do? So we may go in to consult on an application, and we may find that underlying we have a lot of wasted dollars supporting technology that is archaic. That is something that really bothers them 
they are very concerned about it, but equally concerned about the integrity of their data. How safe is my data? Am I really protected? You know, we are constantly hearing about the ransom viruses that people are subject to, whether they're coming in through their network system or whether they're even coming in through the phone system. And we may be called in after an outbreak like that, and they're looking at us saying, how do we protect ourselves? How do we protect our data? You know, we've just had to undergo this huge transformation to get our data back, and we've lost a lot of data. So it's tied together, the technology itself, being able to protect that information, as well as protecting themselves from all of the dangers that we're facing now. Those are the two elements that I hear most frequently about their concerns. And then, of course, from the competitive advantage, you know, what are my peers doing? How are they solving this problem? How are they approaching it? And what do they use and why do they use that? So all three of those things would be probably a part of every conversation we have with a law firm. Or a legal corporation, sometimes the same questions. Oh, I bet. And, you know, interesting, it, it kind of dovetails right into my next question here is I know that on your website you, you post different blogs about different topics and things from 3545. And one of those blog posts was actually from you. You, you penned a post about tips for choosing technology and specifically, you know, referencing cloud versus on-prem. Uh, and you mentioned a little bit of that as far as, you know, how long will my technology live? When do I have to replace it, et cetera. Can you give us just a couple of highlights from that blog post? I'd be happy to. <clears throat> it was actually as a result of um, several consultations with some of our long-term clients. Um, we have a lot of clients that we've been dealing with since they were one attorney in one office. But one in particular wanted to explore all the different software applications that were available and also wanted to look at both on-prem and wanted to look at the um, hosted options. And it was a great exploration. And then he posed the question to me, well, Nancy, how does this look over a five-year period from the whole picture? You understand everything that's in our environment. How does this look? And I said, you know what? That's a great question. I'm going to take all your options. I'm going to look at on-prem uh, software and compare it to cloud. And we're going to come up with a cost analysis on it. And we're going to really dive into it and use this as an example. Fully expected to come down to the bottom line being cloud is going to be more expensive, but cloud is going to be your best option because it gives you all the remote access capability that you're really limited with right now. Fact is, I didn't come out with that analysis. It came out the flip. And so um, I went through this process with our engineering team, and we all looked at it and said, oh, my gosh. We've finally gotten to the point where the scale is tipped. If you really look out three to five years, the cost analysis changes dramatically. That's and very cloud is the winner. Yes, well, we, we, we knew that uh, for many years ago, but it's glad to see that others are, are validating that, putting hard, your own hard facts and numbers and analysis together to come up with, with something that we had, we've pretty much bet the company on. <laughs> now, it was a good bet. <laughs> oh, yes, I, I think so, to be, to be where we are. But I want to reference something that we talked about before we started recording as we were kind of preparing, is is you had this great quote, and I'm going to repeat it and then ask you why. So, you know, we were talking, and, and you mentioned that you really enjoy selling net documents, that, that out of everything that you sell, net documents is one of the top things, and you just enjoy it. And I love that quote, but I want to, I do. I want to know the reason why. What's behind it? Tell me why you enjoy that. I love to sell net documents and I love to show it to firms because I know from the very moment that they start to look interested in the product, they're on the path to success and this is going to transform the way they practice law. And I've seen it over and over and over again. It's such 
it's not just the access of those documents in the cloud and being able to get to them anywhere, anytime. It's the way they can organize a matter and work through that matter in an electronic, dynamic way that changes their paradigm. And watching that success is what makes me so excited when I'm given the opportunity to introduce it to a new law firm or an existing firm that I've worked with for a long period of time. Either one, I get excited about it every day. We use it every single day. And there's always new surprises, new elements, things that are on the horizon. It's continuing to grow and develop and give everybody more opportunity to use it and for the use. So I personally love using the product. So it's not selling the product. I'm sharing with my potential client or my existing client a product that I feel passionately about is going to make a true difference in the way they practice law and it's going to definitely contribute make them more efficient and contribute to the bottom line it's fantastic um you know it's a lot of really really good information i, I i'm particularly interested in the uh, the blog post i'm going to have to go back and, and read that because uh, you know if I, depending on how you look at this i'm i'm, I'm very interested in in roi studies and, and things of that nature so i'd be uh, really, really interested to kind of look at that and, and, and understand what's in there. Um, so just for our listeners that are out there, if, if, if someone is interested in, and wants to reach you, if, they're, if they need to learn more about 3545 and your, your services and everything else, what's the best way to reach you or, or your company? Well, <clears throat> certainly all of our communication or all of our contact information is on the web, 3545consulting.com. I uh, can be reached at uh, N Griffin at 3545consulting.com. So that's N-G-R-I-F-F-I-N-G at 3545consulting.com. Or a direct phone call is always appreciated, 713-789-3323. And I'm at extension 107. That's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, thanks for spending some time with us, Nancy. We, we appreciate it. And I know our listeners do as well. My pleasure. Anytime. All right. Welcome back. We hope you enjoyed the interview as much as JB and I did. Nancy's such a pleasant woman, and 3545 is a great partner for net documents and for a lot of other things, uh, technological in the legal industry. So if you have a need, feel free to reach out. I know. Nancy and her team would love to be able to help you. So as we come to the final segment, the closing segment of Legally Cloud, remember, at Legally Cloud on Twitter, we're going to go ahead and then JB and I are going to trade a question or two, and then we're going to wrap up with a neat little story before we sign off for the day. So JB, I think you're up to the plate, and I'll stay in the batter's box. What you got for me? All right. Okay. So... This is going uh, to be a, a, a dig. You got to dig back into the the, the way back machine, um, Mike. What was the first CD you ever purchased, and why that CD? Okay, so I got to clarify the question. So, is it the first CD I ever purchased, or the first CD I ever received? Those are two different things. Interesting. I am going to say the first one you ever purchased. Okay. Okay. For the record, the other one was Fresh Air 5. I got a CD <laughs> player for Christmas, and my parents knew that I liked Mannheim Steamroller, and so they gave me Mannheim Steamroller Fresh Air 5. So that was the first CD I ever got. But the first awesome. CD I ever purchased is is back in the day, and even still today, I, as you know, I really enjoy Barbara Streisand but that was an acquired taste over many years. Mm -hmm. Back in the day, in my, my early, early years, I think I was 12, 11 or 12, somewhere in there, um, CDs had come out, of, CD players and CDs were still relatively new, and I got my first CD player at Christmas with that Mannheim Steamroller CD, and then I got a little bit of money, so I went out a few days later, and I went and bought Journey Escape. Oh my nice. goodness. 
what an amazing and excellent album. I was a huge Journey fan. And back in the day, I didn't have posters on my walls. I took cardboard paper and white pieces of paper, and I would draw on them. And so I had some journey drawings of whatever an 11-year-old kid could do at that point in time. You know, at my age now, I'm still not a good artist, but imagine at 11. It was cute at that point. Now it isn't so much. But uh, I really, really love journey. So that's that was the very first CD that I purchased myself. That is awesome. And and I don't know, you know, you mentioned posters, and it just brought back a very vivid memory for me. So do you recall the CDs when you purchased them back in the day when they first came out? They were in these enormous boxes, uh, like cardboard boxes, where it was actually very bizarre. The CD was at the top, and it made them top-heavy as you would, you know, flip through them in the in the record store. But they came in these these gigantic uh, uh, cardboard boxes. And I used to take those when I would buy them, and I would take the CD out very, very gently, and I would take, uh, I would put the cardboard box up on my wall like a poster. And I used to have just this row of all the different album art uh, that I had. But anyway, that, yeah. Uh, yep. Oh, that's nice. No, I remember the CD packaging, and I wasn't so careful. I just rip it open because I wanted the CD. <laughs> I didn't care about the packaging, but no, I, <laughs> I do remember those. Yep. Okay, so my turn, and I'm going to yep. do this different style, right? We're going to do rapid questions. Not oh boy. just one. Okay. So, so here we go. All right. So for toilet paper, do you do you fold it over or under? Under. Okay. Pineapple on pizza, yes or no? No. Are you a morning person or a night owl? Night owl. What's your favorite color? Green. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Okay. For lunch, you have barbecue. Do you get a side of macaroni salad or potato salad? Two sides of macaroni salad. Coke or Pepsi? Coke. Xbox or PlayStation? Xbox. Ah, excellent. All right. You did very, very well. You passed, JB. <laughs> I passed. Okay, good. You passed. Not that there was ever a fail for that. All right. So yeah, awesome. the, the, the last thing that we have, the last segment that we have here, to, to close this out. It's just a quick little story. And I've got an interesting one here. You know, that when someone mentions twins, someone having twins, I usually think that there are two siblings, right, that were born on the same day. However, mm -hmm. did you know that the Guinness Book of World Records has a record for the longest number of days between a set of twins' birth? Days. Days. I had no clue that this existed. Now, I could see someone being born at 1159 and 1201. Are we talking humans? Yes, we are talking humans. So listen to this. Okay. So I, I, I dug this up. So Maria and Chris Jones, you know, they were they were obviously part of the, some of the subject of our story here. They were were going to have twins. And you know, at the beginning when Maria got pregnant, she felt that she felt different about this pregnancy, and she said, you know what, I bet I have twins. And so the seventh week of her pregnancy, they went into the doctor and confirmed that yes, she indeed was having twins. However, Things went south in the 24th week of her pregnancy, right? So not even halfway, well, about halfway through. Maria just started feeling unwell. She felt extreme pressure on her abdomen. And, you know, she got worried, fairly worried, in fact, that she went to go see her doctor. Her doctor took a look at her, examined her, and said, you go to the hospital. So she went straight to the hospital. About three hours after she got there, her water broke. And they immediately admitted her into the maternity ward. So the doctors examined her quickly. This was a, a pretty urgent case. They told her she was in labor. And remember, this was week 24, and that there was really very little hope of her twins surviving as it was so early in the pregnancy process. So after two days of labor, and for us men folk, that's 48 hours, she gave birth to Amy almost four months before her due date. And Amy was born at one pound, three ounces, and dangerously small. In wow. fact, they, yeah, they, they put her in the NICU to, to keep track of her. So once Amy was born, Mary's contractions just stopped, done. Like her body said, okay, I'm done. And it's, it's as if the other part of the twin, the couple that were in her, her tummy, weren't quite ready to come out. So they even tried to induce Maria the next day, but nothing happened. They could not get the other twin out. So Maria was determined to not leave the hospital without both babies, right? I can just imagine this is a hugely emotional experience. 
she stayed in the hospital for the next four months. And she would go and see her first Whoa. baby, Amy, every day just to go and, and start that relationship with her. But she didn't leave the hospital. So at about 36 weeks and three days, Maria was finally induced. The doctors had determined that it was safe to induce Maria. So she gave birth to her second daughter, Katie, who weighed five pounds, 10 ounces. And she was in labor for about an hour for Katie. So a total of 49 hours of labor for two babies. And then wow. two hours later after Katie was born, the twins were reunited in the hospital. And after several weeks, were eventually both of them were taken home. So the total amount of time, and this is the current Guinness Book of World Records, the total amount of time between the twins, uh, the, the birth of number one and the birth of number two was 87 days. Holy cow. Right. Now, that is totally, that's completely surprising. But to top it all off, the previous world record was 84 days. I just, oh, my gosh. I know. I can't believe it. <laughs> and the the doctors, they told Maria and Chris that they had pretty much achieved the medical equivalent of equivalent of winning the lottery with both girls and the mother, all three of them surviving and healthy. And I believe they're all still living today. So it's just just an incredible story. And, you know, what we consider the human race, what we consider is normal. Well, is it? <laughs> I don't know. I just I really enjoyed the story. Yeah, that's that is absolutely amazing. And, and remind me, what what year was this? Uh, I want to say it was 2000. I think it happened in 2012. The articles okay, so that I read were in 2013. So still relatively recent. Yeah. Wow. OK. Yeah. I um, I do not want to know what that hospital bill was, um, but <laughs> I hope they had insurance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but at the same time, that is that is uh, truly amazing. Um, wow. Yes, it is. So anyway, JB, it's been a great podcast episode. Thanks for your participation. Indeed. Always a pleasure, Mike. And and again, um, special thanks to, to Nancy for, for this week's interview. I found that very, very interesting. Um, but, um, yeah, absolutely. Until next time, keep your head in the clouds. <laughs>